Hey guys, welcome to AEW Review. This is Lewis Ogden and we are going to be reviewing the Royal Rumble 1998. It is the second podcast. We've got a lot to get through, so let's start. Uh, do you know what? Do you know what? It's been everywhere. We've been through the hashtags on Twitter. We've been having people doing the blogs on it. And I had to. I've got to. I've got to kick this off on the show. Sing along if you know how it goes. Okay, that'll, that'll do. That'll just about do. Um, hope that's got you in the mood. So, anyway, let's kick off the show. Welcome to the second podcast um, of the Attitude Review, um, the podcast where pay-per-view by pay-per-view we run through the Attitude Era and beyond the World Wrestling Federation. Um, I think, to be honest, with this issue of the podcast, it's going to be a hell of a lot better than the, the debut one. I should have really um, considered not kicking off the brand new series on a pay-per-view that wasn't really of the highest caliber. Um, I'm sure uh, that this time uh, it will be a little bit more, it will be positive. It will be a hell of a lot more positive than it was last time. Um, so, the 1998 Royal Rumble comes from the San Jose Arena in... You guessed it, San Jose, California. Um, with an attendance of 18,542 fans, the commentators are Jim Ross and Jerry the King Warlow, Tito Santana, and Carlos Cabrera on Spanish, Ray Rougeau and Jean Bassard on French. Um, and it's a quick note to uh, remind you, although it's a bit hard to miss, that Iron Mike Tyson is in a skybox overlooking the ring, so he's going to be featured... Um, I wouldn't say heavily, but he's going to be featured in brief moments uh, in the pay-per-view. Um, so the opening contest for the 1998 Royal Rumble is the artist formerly known as Goldust versus Vader. Um, how did this come about? Um, 
basically, it all started about two months ago when Goldoss walked out on Marlena, aka Terry Reynolds, um, on the November 24th episode of Monday Night Raw. Um, Goldust revealed his new love interest in Luna Vishon, um, who may spark a memory because his her father, Mad Dog Vishon, he will be a legend in wrestling, but the only memory I have is um, is inclusion of the Shawn Michaels Diesel match uh, in your house, uh, good friends, better en- enemies. Um, anyway, that's the only memory I've got of him. Um, so yeah, new love, the interest of Luna, and bizarre costume choices over the past few weeks, which includes, uh, including a, uh, dress up of, well, Goldust dressing up as Sable, and, um, Vader, it's, um, yeah, and, and Goldust nailed Vader in the head with two coconuts, which sets up tonight's match. Um, Lawler quite worried me, um, and the reason he worried me was he made a comment that said, he ain't no Sable, but he looks pretty good. Yeah, okay then. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Goldust, um, accompanied by Luna, uh, Goldust in a bizarre costume tonight, um, not really costume oriented, but really the colours. Um, a lovely um, black current with a green line. Uh, looks like he's advertising for a new drumstick flavour, which I'm sure WWE have already done before with Virgil. It's probably a reference with Jay Hunter at RSW. But anyway, um, Vader makes his way to the ring. Gets really good reception from the fans. It's uh, quite surprising, really. Um, it's I'd, I make the argument that Vader is a really big, like a massive monster um, in the WWF at this time. And I think it's a really shame. I think it's a a shame that creative didn't have anything to do with it. And um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and there's also, also reference um, to when Goldoss walked out on um, his team at the Survivor Series uh, in the Team Canada as a team of so much, which also included Vader. Um, Vader, uh, Vader rushes into the ring and Goldoss captures him completely. I don't know why I hate it, it's just grips, but if you were doing it for real, You'd know off by hand that he is the heel in the ring. You wouldn't slide, um, you wouldn't slide underneath the bottom rope. You'd at least, like, get onto the apron or you'd taunt him so he came out to the apron and then you'd drag him out. Um, it's just, it's, it's my train of thought anyway. Um, JR points out that Stone Cold Steve Austin has not Entered the arena yet? He's not arrived at the arena, um, which is understandable, as you will find out later on. Um, I don't know how 
it's, I've put this down in the notes. I don't know how you can balls up um, selling getting whipped into the steel steps, but Goldust does because it's the thing. It's the thing that you notice when people like whip, like whip somebody into the steel steps, and they either go shoulder first or they kind of throw themselves back first into the steps. Goldust goes about a foot early, so like. His impact on the steps is like really tame, um, so it kind of takes it out of it a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, so Goldust takes control when Luna catches Vader, uh, catches Vader's leg coming off the ropes, and Goldust catches him in the clothesline. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, wearing down from Goldust, matches slow down quite a bit, and after a 10 punch in the corner and what looks like a kiss, but I swear it's a bite. Goldust. Um, so uh, he gets off, and Vader catches him with catches Goldust with a clothesline, and um, uh, Rikishi sells. I'm going to say, uh, yep. Yeah, uh, big splash from big um, canvas splash from Vader, and only gets a two count. And I'm just wondering, would this really work? Would that really happen in real life? I mean, if if, say, the same rules from WWE applied in a, you know, unscripted way, and someone weighing 468 pounds, and I, I mean, I know WWE building is like 468, but he won't be, he'll be about, he'll be about 375, 400, something like that, but even so, 400 pound guy doing a big splash on you and then covering you, would you really have that upper body strength to kick out? Yeah, it's a bit unrealistic for me. Um, so Vader sets up for the uh, Vader bomb. Um, Luna takes the absolute ever distracting the referee. There's like a 20 to 30 second, no, I wouldn't say 20 to 30, about a 15, 15 second delay from when Vader's just like waiting on the second turnbuckle. And then, Vader, and then uh, Luna immediately remembers that she's got a cue to do and uh, distracts the referee. And Goldust gets up and low blows Vader. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a botch there. Um, the finish comes when the sunset flip from Goldust is countered and Vader flattens him. Um, setting up for the Vader bomb again. Uh, Luna gets on Vader's back, um, but the referee lets it ride anyway. Um, Vader hits the Vader bomb with Luna on his back and Luna goes face first into the canvas. Um, although replays will show later that she did get hands up in time, but in like real time, it did look like she did face first. So that was a really nice spot. And the crowd popped really big for the finisher. Um, so yeah, Vader Ballard is hit on Goldust. Vader gets the free at 7.51. Oh my gosh. I thought this was an okay opener. Uh, started off, started off okay. Slowed down a bit. Um, 
crowd, a crowd went dead in the middle because the match had slowed down. But, um, uh, yeah, they popped quite big for the ending, so it's good to see that they're really vocal. Um, cut to Michael Cole as Stone Cold Steve Austin arrives. Uh, Cole tries to get a word with Austin, but Stone Cold says for him to park his truck, and if he gets a scratch on it, he's going to get his ass whipped. Um, well, more actively, he's going to get his ass whipped. But um, I am British, so I will use the arse reference when so. Um, so yeah, he goes through and goes searching for his locker room, and moments later, the Godwins come in looking for Stone Cold Steve Austin, and ties into the March Man scenario. Um, so we set up for the next match up, uh, which is a six-man tag team match featuring six of the world-famous mini-superstars, as described by Howard Finkel. Um, so the heel team come out first, and just before they're about to come out, there's um, a, it's the uh, exit mu- music that Mankind used to use when he was when he first started. Because when he t- when he first came out, he still had the you know it's, he still had his original music. Um, but whenever he um, when it was like his exit music, whenever he won, whenever he won a match, or it was like um, an attack on somebody, he'd always exit with like a Beethoven symphony reference, um, which I think is a, it's a, it's a good. It's quite surreal, actually, um, and I think it's a, it's a it's an inclusion of the character that you wouldn't expect from um, a mankind persona. So anyway, uh, I'll just call it mankind's exit theme. So the exit exit theme starts to play and then it's cut off. Um, it's a bit of a bop there. Um, so yeah, um, mini superstar, mini superstar, six months actually much. The heel team of Batayon. Tarantula and El Torito, as pronounced by Howard Finkel. Or if you want to think, you can just say Italian Tarantula and El Torito. Uh, JR looking just so um, elegantly referenced. You know, there's, they're, they're, they're not really into their uh, Spanish pronunciation, I don't think. Um, so uh, that is the heel team and the babyface team of Nova, Mosaic, and Max Mini, who's billed as the world's smallest wrestler at four foot five inches. Um, I'm not. I'm not really sure. Is you would have expected that somebody else would be able to get um, a little smaller, but there you go. Um, there's a lot of midget jokes from Lawler, um, which is understandable because it is his heel persona. But I will let you know of my particular favourite. Um, and that's prob- it's probably something that you shouldn't really have as a, um, a favourite small joke. But um, this is the f- this is the best one that um, he came up with. Um, so uh, it's about ooh, about two thirds of the match, and Lawler goes, "Max Mini has always wanted to have a kid. That way, he'll have someone to look up to." Which I thought was <laughs> it was the best joke in the match, I think. Um, so yeah. Um, this match is mainly mainly a lot of arm drags or total world arm drags. Um, a couple of hurricane rounders thrown in as well, but there's nothing really. Um, technical. I mean, it's it looks fantastic. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, but 
it's just a repetitive use of arm drags. I mean, it's okay using like two or three like every minute or so, but when you're using them like in like 30 second intervals with like um, between different opponents on the six man team, it does get quite repetitive. And I've also noticed in this match there's not much tagging going on. Basically, if you're knocked out of the ring or you, um, yeah, if you get knocked out of the ring or you slide under the bottom rope or somebody or something, um, uh, a partner from your team can just automatically come in and uh, take your place as a legal man. Yeah. Yeah. It's not uh, it's not something I'd recommend, to be honest, that WWE try. Um, shot of uh, Mike Tyson watching, um, and I've also noticed this, that throughout the event, that you can tell when uh, Mike Tyson's up in the Titan front because he instantly just gets booed by the capacity crowd. Um, and yeah, so the finish of this match, um, a lot of outside of um, through the rope dives and springboard dives. Um, my particular favourite was Max Mini did a lovely um, springboard um, spiral crossbody, which was quite nice. But he did it in the middle, so he'd be involved in the finish. So yeah, the uh, Max Mini with the, um, the finish with El Torito does a top rope Hurricane into a tilt and then tilt the world arm drag and then inside cradle in consecutive, um, consecutively, consecutively after one another. And gets the inside cradle for the win at 7.48. Um, so yeah, this match was, again, it was another okay match. Um, it was quite fun to begin with. Repetitive arm drags dragged it down a little bit. Um, and I think that um, it was at the stage where I'd, if you're promoting Lucha Libre in mini form, then surely you'd incorporate Luchadors more often in your WWE program. It may just be me, but I don't understand the logic, to be honest. Um, but this will be, this is the last time that we see the mini superstars in the pay-per-view. Is anyone bothered, really? I don't know. I don't know. It's messy. I've only been I've only been doing this for two podcasts. Give me a break. Um. So yeah, cut to a shot of the Nation of Domination, who are outside Stone Cold Steve Austin's locker room. Baruch tells Mark Henry to prove himself as the newest member to kick Austin's ass. They all burst in through the door, only to find an Austin phone finger stacked up on a folding chair, and it's pointed right at the door. Um, uh, it's typical, well, it's not typical Austin, but it's a different side to Austin, because Austin's more of the type of guy to take on, it, take on like four or one or five or one at any time. So it was, it was quite entertaining to see Austin playing trick, playing uh, mind tricks on people. Um, so yeah, a shot of Mike Tyson in the skybox with Vincent Shane at one. Um, I will take the time out to, uh, um, talk about how Mike Tyson's become involved in all this. Um, he's out of boxing. The reason he's included with the WWF is because he had his license rescinded um, due to his actions during the um, rematch against Evander Holyfield um, in um, uh, June 10th, 28th, 1997. Uh, it's considered one of the most controversial um, events in sporting history. And I can understand why, because uh, Tyson was de- disqualified at the end of the third round 
for biting at Holyfield's ears. Um, the first time, the ref deducted two points and the fight resumed, but Tyson did it again, so was disqualified. Um, one bite removed uh, a piece of Holyfield's right ear that was found on the ring floor after the fight. Um, Tyson, Tyson later stated that his actions were in relation to Holyfield repeatedly headbutting him without a penalty caution from the ref. Um, in confusion of the ending of the match and the announcement of the decision, a near riot broke out and several people were injured. Um, Three million dollars was withheld from Tyson's thirteen million pound million dollar um, purse uh, by the Nevada State Boxing Commission. Um, I've done my research and it's apparently the most that they could withheld. Um, yeah. Two days later, Tyson issued a statement to Holyfield and his representatives for the, his actions and asked not to be banned for life over the incident. Um, cut to the 9th of July, um, Tyson's boxing license was rescinded in a unanimous vote. Effectively, Tyson couldn't box in the United States. Um, his revocation, his revocation was not permanent as commission his revocation was not permanent as the uh, Boxing Commission voted 4 to 1 to restore his license on October the 18th, 1998, which is uh, quite a coincidence because this was the same date as In Your House Judgment Day um, later on in the year, which I will be covering uh, in a future podcast. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of background on Tyson and how he's going to be involved in the WWF and how he's going to how it's going to be involved, that he's going to be involved in Mania as well. Um, so back to the action. Uh, the next match is for the Intercontinental Championship. The Rock, Rocky Maivia, as he's being built, um, defends the championship against the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Um, JR takes his back, takes, um, takes on a look back on Shamrock beating every member of the Nation of Domination. Starting with D'Lo Brown on December the 22nd edition of Raw, and then um, also defeating Karma and Farouk over consecutive weeks. Um, this past week on Raw, uh, a tag team match between Shamrock and Mark Henry versus The Rock and D'Lo Brown. Um, Henry turns on Shamrock, thus joining the Nation of Domination. Um, Michael Cole is backstage with the Intercontinental Champion, The Rock. Uh, cut to an interview with the Nation of Domination on the free-for-all. All five of the Nation members are disagreeing with each other that they will be the ones to win the Royal Rumble. Uh, Rock says that Michael Cole is an idiot for believing there's dissension in the Nation. Um, there's also a joke of um, President Clinton and Paula Jones, um, which I put it down in my notes, but I realise it's not particularly relevant because this happens, what... <sighs> See, Mass was never my strong point. 15 years ago, so I don't think it's relevant nowadays. Um, Rock says he'll go one-on-one with the world's most dangerous man and he tells Shamrock not to worry because there'll be somebody on standby, standby to carry his sorry ass out of the building. Um, so Rock enters the arena. A lot of Rocky sucks chants that continue to follow him. I think, um, I think he even surpasses... Shawn Michaels is the best heel in the company at the moment. I mean, I know Michaels is the WWF champion, but to be honest, Rock gets a hell of a lot more heat as a heel, to be honest. So I think that 
in relation um in relation like gives him the top spot gives him the top heel spot in the company um Shamrock gets his usual babyface reaction but I have to point out that Vader's the reaction to the entrance from for Vader was a hell of a lot stronger, stronger for Shamrock which is a little worrying um you know I guess this I guess this can happen with uh, anybody really uh Shamrock looks particularly ripped tonight um you know, he looks particularly big. I'm surprised I, surprised I not, didn't notice this during the DX pay-per-view. Um, but I think, to be honest, I think because the pay-per-view was that boring and I'd already seen the um, the match between Stone Cold and The Rock on a different DVD, I think I was just, like, at this point, giving up on the pay-per-view, so I was just trying to get through it. Um, um, I think... Uh, so the match got started, and... I think the uh, the move where Shamrock catches his opponent coming off the ropes with a roundhouse kick to the ribs is a trademark for a babyface Shamrock um, to kind of to kind of get the match rolling. I think. Um, uh, yeah, Shamrock gets into a flurry of offense and goes for a hurricane runner, but Rock um, hot shots him on the uh, top turnbuckle on the top rope even. And uh, then uh, begins to work on Shamrock's neck by choking him in the corner. Um, smart fighting from the Rock. You don't you don't usually. I mean, there can be an occasion where. Uh, and yeah, Shamrock tries fighting back, but the Rock um, executes a beautiful float over DDT that Shamrock sells to perfection, and the crowd eat it up. I mean, it was a. It was a brilliant spot, and it was unbeknownst because, uh, you know, it was quite, quite unexpected for the crowd. Um, JR reminds us that both men will be involved in the Royal Rumble match tonight, and Shamrock chants uh, come from the crowd as he fights off a reversal for another... Uh, Shamrock chants from the crowd as he fights, off a, out of, fights out of a reverse chin lock and counters another float over DDT into a Northern Lights suplex. That was quite a good spot as well. Um, the second spot of the night, I think. Um, Shamrock starts to build momentum, and then Karma and D'Lo come down, come down from the uh, entranceway. Both are knocked down, but D'Lo gets tied in the ropes. Ref tries to untie D'Lo, while Rock, while the Rock retrieves brass knuckles from his tights and nails Shamrock, intelligently shoving them into Shamrock's tights. And gets a close two count. Um, referee is still distracted with D'Lo, and so um, Shamrock counters a rock bottom and hits a belly to belly suplex and gets the three count. And we have a new Intercontinental Champion at 10:52. Or do we? Uh, the Rock complains to the referee that Shamrock hit him with something that's in his tights. Um, referee gets Shamrock to pull whatever he's got out of his tights, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking at this point, keep it clean, people. There are kids with parents watching this pay-per-view. Um, Shamrock pulls the brass knuckles out of his tights, and the ref immediately reverses the decision and awards the belt to the Rock. Shamrock goes absolutely crazy, uh, suplexes the ref, and locks in the ankle lock on referee Mike Kyoto. Um, and the crowd absolutely eat this up. I think this is a it's a 
good match to have because I think the first two the crowd were involved with but they really needed something to really lift them out of the seats. So I'm not saying that it, yeah, it's the Intercontinental Championship belt but it got that reaction that sort of kick-started the rest of the, the rest of the pay-per-view if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah there's a good quick Intercontinental title match um, and the sham- rivalry between Shamrock and The Rock is intensified. Uh, cut to backstage with Los Barricos, who run into a locker room to attack Stone Cold, but have run right into the DL. Um, so WWF home video exclusive. Moments later, um, we cut to The Rock in his dressing room, and Shamrock comes through and attacks him. And officials have to drag him off. And uh, there's a particular moment, um, which I'm pretty sure. Vince scripted because um, he wouldn't have had this on the pay per view. Just have a listen. Where's he at? You son of a bitch! You caught me! You So yeah, uh, after that, <laughs> um, cut backstage to Los Barricos, who run into a locker room to attack who they think is Stone Cold, Steve, Stone Cold, but have run right into the, the Disciples of Apocalypse's locker room, and have mistaken Skull or 8-Ball, hasn't been confirmed yet, for Austin, and there's a locker room brawl between the two factions. Um, so the next match uh, is the Nation, oh, it's not the Nation. It is the New Age Outlaws defending the Tag Team Championships against the Legion of Doom. Rematch from the previous pay-per-view. Woo! And yeah, there's a promo package and, and it lists the uh, dominance from the Legion of Doom in the Tag Team division. And it also shows clip a clip from uh, one month ago, the Nation of Domination with the help from DX injure animals back by powerbombing, powerbombing them through the the announce table, and they also shave a knocked out hawk. Um, they shave one of one of his uh, hawk mohawks off. Um, so the outlaws come out rocking Brett Favre Green Bay Packers um, t-shirts. Uh, this is a jib to everybody in the San Francisco area for Green Bay's 23-10 win over the 49ers in the NFC Championship game of the 1997-98 NFL season. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> had to check that I hadn't mistaken the NFL with the NHL, which is a difference between football and hockey. Um, backstage, Michael Collins with the Legion of Doom. The doctors have said that they do not want Animal to wrestle tonight, but Animal says the Outlaws are going to get whipped whether they win the belts or not. Surely if it's a tra- tag team championship match, Surely the first thing is to do is to win the belts and then kick the outlaws' arse. Arses. I don't know. It might just be me, but I'm just thinking about the paycheck. The outlaws think they're as cool as the other side of the pillow. That was a cool reference point. But then he kind of ruins it when he says it, it kind of falls flat on its face. They'll be even cooler by night's end because they're going to pull them on ice. It started off cool, but... Uh, Kind of melted a bit. I know it's awful. Um, yeah. Remember, 
Um, if you check, if, if you come here by a OSW review, um, you'll be aware of um, how they describe the pops that the Legion of Doom get in the early 90s as being monstrous. But if you compare that then with what they get now, these reactions are quite tame. Um, yeah. Uh, I will say this, there's, there's not much difference, to be honest, with the, the match that they had at the DX pay-per-view and the match that they're having now. Um, I'd say that they're only, the only difference between this is that the Outlaws start off with trying to um, ambush the LOD, the LOD reverse, Outlaws go to, go to the back and um, they get dragged back in. Uh, while Road Dog's getting worked on, I've noticed how freaking stupid Hawk looks with just like one of the Hawk, one of the Mohawks going. I can't remember if it was right, his right one or his, or his left one, but it just looks freaking stupid. Um, and, uh, it doesn't really help with his, um, with looking like he's just run out of a mental, mental institution just put on a load of LOD spikes and just walk to the ring and just like he's a he's a hawk imposter. Um turning point in this matchup, Road Dog handcuffs Hawk to uh the ring post on the outside. Outlaws try to double team on Animal but he fights them off. There's a botch where Billy Gunn comes off the second rope and Animal's meant to power slam him. But instead of him actually power slamming him he kind of lands uh, Billy Gunn pretty much on his head. Um, goes for the two count, goes for the uh, three, gets two, and um, Road Dog comes in with a ch chair to Animal's back, and the LOD get the win, uh, get the disqualification win at 7.57. Uh, Post-match, the Outlaws continue to work on Animal's back, but Hawk breaks out the handcuffs, uh, wrestles the chair away from uh, Road Dog, and nails both Outlaws in the head with chairs. While the outlaws scamper to the back, um, I don't really see the point of having a match, a match that is a carbon copy of what they had in the previous pay per view, with um, yeah, I, I, I have to say that you know, I I. I've liked the LOD in the past, but to be honest, at this point, they're just, they're out of the depth, to be honest, they're past, they're past it, I think, you know, it's, it's a new, it's called an attitude area, you out the LOD don't really ooze attitude, they don't really ooze what they're looking for, and, um, you know, the Outlaws are still the tag team champions, and they're still being put over as a number one tag team out there, which is Aces. So before we continue on with the rest of the pay-per-view, um, I have to mention that um, I am going to, as one of the things to kind of revolutionise the podcast a little bit, I'm going to be holding a pod. I'm going to be holding probably every four or five podcasts. I'm going to be mentioning it. So this is the start-off point um, of a competition where you could win for free. A WWE DVD, a DVD or a box set. Um, it depends what I've got in my collector's edition of DVDs that I don't watch anymore. Um, I will be putting the details on the Facebook, 
on the official Facebook page. Um, go to Facebook, like it, and um, I want you to see. Now, I've always thought this of Shawn Michaels and his back injury. And it's kind of um, it's kind of appropriate since we're on the build-up to WrestleMania. And how we know at WrestleMania, um, Shawn Michaels' back injury was too debilitating and he would be gone until he came back until he did come back in 2002. Um, now, my competition is I this particular edition. Um, I want you to go to the Facebook page and write what you would do with Shawn Michaels. Forget forget the back injury ever happened. After WrestleMania, Austin beats Michaels for the title. What would you do if you were in creative or you were in charge of the product or you in charge of the show? How would you incorporate Michaels? Would you continue his feud on the Stone Cold? Would you involve him with The Undertaker and Kane? Would you have him put over young talent? Would you this? Would you that? Do anything you want. I want anything creative, anything innovative, anything that's interesting, but anything that's realistic. And, um, yeah, I'm going to be running this over the next four or five. I'm going to be mentioning it on the next four or five podcasts. So you've got plenty of time to um, gather your thoughts or get people involved or whatever. Um, and the winner, I will be selecting a winner. And... Um, once I select a winner, you will be um, messaged about um, billing address, billing address um, details. And um, if you are selected for the win, you could win a not particularly used edition of the free disc box set of the Legacy of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, it's it's not to be confused with the four disc DVD set of um, the toughest SO being WWE in sports entertainment or something like that. I have got it. It's kind of like looking straight at me, but it's on the other side of the room, so I can't read the print. Um, no, it's the three disc DVD set which um, expands all matches from WCW. Like, there's an odd match from ECW, and then his early days in the WWF working down all the way through to, I think the last match is the WrestleMania 17 match against The Rock, which everybody's seen anyway. But, it's a good DVD box set to have, it's just I didn't really have the patience to watch it that much. So, I'm giving it away for free. For free, people. Now, you know, you're not going to be billed for anything. Nothing for the DVD, nothing poster packaging. I've got to find some way of getting rid of it anyway. Um, so, yeah, it is yours to be free. All you have to do is interest and amuse me, so to speak. I sound like a king to this jester. Amuse me, good sir. Um, yeah, so if you go to the Facebook page, you go to facebook.com slash AEW review. Um, like the Facebook, like like the page, and then post me your storyline descriptions of what you would do with Shawn Michaels after WrestleMania 14 had his back injury not occurred. Um, so I will be mentioning it on the next few podcasts to keep it going, and I will let you know via Facebook and via Twitter 
um, the closing date for it, but I'm going to be running it for a few weeks anyway. Um, so yeah, get involved, and who knows, you could win a free WWE DVD courtesy of AEW Review. <clears throat> you could win a free DVD courtesy of AEW Review. Okay, so just before we kick off the Royal Rumble match, uh, just a little side note to uh, somebody actually, um, there was a competition that the World Wrestling Federation put up, and someone, um, to be more specific, a Mildred Bowers from Nashville, Tennessee, actually won Stone Cold's truck. So, you know. All I can say to that is, you lucky duck. Um, so yeah, it's time for the Royal Rumble match. Uh, promo that goes, it's a bit obvious who's going to win the Rumble match because the entire Royal Rumble promo package is all centred around Stone Cold Steve Austin and how he is a marked man. <clears throat> okay, so the Royal Rumble match kicks off with the number one entrance, Cactus Jack, who brings a couple of trash cans down to the ring with him, and uh, is number two entrant, ironically, his tag team partner, Chainsaw Charlie. Uh, uh, as soon as Chainsaw comes to the ring, he throws in a few chairs, and uh, they proceed, Cactus and Chainsaw proceed to have a duel of who can hit each other in the head. Um, the hardest with the steel chairs. Uh, if you were to ask me uh, who won that duel, I'd say Chainsaw because um, I don't know. It it might be it might be Mick Foley's a little bit tentative of hurting his like um, his icon really, and Chainsaw just came across as I'm going to give the fans as best job as I can. But um, the chair shots that Mick took from Chainsaw were, you know, they were pretty brutal. Um, so yeah, they, uh, they both allow, to, allow one another to hit each other in the head with chairs up until our number three entrant, Tom Brandy. Um, a lot of you are asking, who the hell is Tom Brandy? Well, uh, he had a short, um, a short stint in the WWF, um, around about the start of 1995. It was, an it was an Italian gimmick um, that he's carried on. I'm not even going to prepare to pronounce his name. Uh, it's something that you should be able to look up. Um, but he hasn't. Re he's not really featured much on pay-per-views. Just the odd dark match before an In Your House show. Um, but uh, if you ask me, if you were to ask me, what are you doing nowadays? Well. He went to the independent wrestling scene in 2002, and he bought the uh, naming rights of the Patriots from the original Patriot, Dan Del Wilkes, um, who you may remember had a short stint of wrestling uh, Bret the Hitman Hart in about mid-97, uh, a couple of In Your House shows. So yeah, Tom Brandy comes in, and 12 seconds later, he's instantly thrown out by Cats Jack and Chainsaw. And uh, they go back to battering each other. Uh, and Chainsaw, Char Chainsaw gets suplexed through two folding chairs, although he only goes through one. 
and then um, you see that you see the look of pain on his face through his uh, uh, the stocking that he shoved onto over his head, and it's quite funny. It's quite funny to see because it. it looks like he's pressed up against. It looks like he's pressed up against the window. Um, the effect it comes across. So number four is the Intercontinental Champion, The Rock. Uh, quite surprising to see him out quite early. And he tries wearing down both men, but the uh, numbers add up as the two men, as the uh, tag team partners, start working on The Rock. Cactus uh, uh, shoves the trash can over Rock's head um, and then proceeds to uh, hit The Rock, who is wearing the trash can with a steel chair, and The Rock goes through the ropes, but he is not eliminated because he didn't go over the top rope. Uh, number five is Hank Banger Mosh. Uh, Chainsaw throws a chair at, throws a chair at Mosh while he's still in the aisleway, um, but is is aimed pretty awful, um, which is no secret to be honest. Because as he goes to throw it down the aisleway, it doesn't really go through the middle. It kind of goes to the left, and it almost hits people in the crowd. Um, and I'm pretty sure that. He, Pretty sure if it had struck somebody in the crowd, he would have got an absolute bollock in from Vince. Um, uh, yeah, so it's a bit of wearing down um, from both four competitors. The only real spot in this 90 seconds was uh, Funk hitting a moonsault that barely hits much. Um, and Lola kind of plays off that he'd missed it. But um, yeah, there was some impact, but not a lot. <clears throat> Uh, number six is Naked Midian, a.k.a. Phineas Godwin. Um, instantly goes after Mosh. JR d mentions that the rivalry between the Godwins and the Headbangers is well documented. Um, I noticed that JR did a lot of lot of this because because there's um, because all the tag teams are involved, there's a lot of JR saying like, oh, you know, this this faction and this faction their rivalry is well documented um, and I have marked it it's, it is marked out and uh, I will have to <laughs> uh, let's see uh, there's one there uh, two uh, no there's a lot there's a lot I'll, I'll add them up in the uh, at the end bit. Um, turns uh, this ninety seconds turns into really um, two one on ones, um, and then there's just one resting in the corner. To be honest, uh, number seven is eight ball of the disciples of apocalypse. Uh, again, Jr. goes for another um, DOA and the nation uh, love loss is well documented. Um, and we get our second elimination. Chainsaw Chainsaw drops the ropes as Cactus Jack goes to eliminate him and eliminates himself. So there goes Cactus Jack. Uh, Jerry Lawler has a quote-unquote reliable source in the back that tell that says that somebody has got to Stone Cold Steve Austin, but Jr. remains adamant that as soon as that's made official. They, we will be, we will, uh, they will let us know. 
Chainsaw has Chainsaw's pulled off hanging on by locking his legs around the top rope. But the thing with the thing with this move is uh, it's he's 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 over the top rope and he's just hanging. He's just hanging. But apart from with just his legs locked and you're just thinking if he lets go he's gonna just land head first so he's gotta have real control uh, over it. Uh, number eight is Blackjack Bradshaw. Uh, there's a four-way fight between Mosh, Phineas, Phineas Bradshaw, and Eight Ball. Uh, Lawler mentions how he'd like to see how big, how big Tyson would be against him, and he describes uh, his right hand as kryptonite, uh, which you couldn't really see happening because I have seen uh, YouTube videos of Mike Tyson, and there's. Uh, there's no doubt you'd if you went up against Mike Tyson, just like literally one jab from him and you just crumple to the floor. Um, Chainsaw's done a Chainsaw uh, has done a couple of uh, versions of halfway of skinning the cat. Um, hopefully, we'll see a full version of it by the end of the night. Uh, number four is the Black Heart Owen Hart, who comes out to a really good reaction. Even Mike Tyson's on his feet. He gets instantly jumped from behind from Jeff Jarrett and Jim Cornette. Cornette whacks Owen with his badminton rackets, which are described as just going, wow, that'll hurt. Um, <clears throat> more stumped by Jarrett, and the officials eventually uh, wrestle Jarrett off Owen, and Owen is carried to the back. Will we see Owen in the Rumble match? We'll have to find out in a little bit. Uh, number 10 is the lethal weapon Steve Blackman, who comes out to pretty much his jobber theme. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Lawler's reliable source says that it might have been Ken Shamrock who took out Stone Cold. <clears throat> well, we'll find out, won't we? Uh, number 11, it's the second of five Nation of Domination members, as here comes D'Lo Brown. Uh, JR mentions the Nation may be the team to beat, it's not the case for this match as D'Lo and Rock go at each other pretty much right away. Uh, ring is starting to fill up as the Attitude Era version of the Great Carly. Kurgan is number 12. Uh, comes straight in and throws out Mosh. Uh, Blackman tries a spinning heel kick and Kurgan no sells. Uh, yeah. Number 13 is Marvelous Mark Marrow. Good reception, only. Th only because Stables come out with him. Uh, yeah, that was pretty much the only reason why Marrow was over. Well, it wasn't really over. Because jealousy would soon set in. Like, big time. Uh, Kurgan eliminates Steve Blackman. Kurgan no selling for Bradshaw. And Rock and D'Lo are still going at each other. Quite uh, surprising. You, wouldn't see, you don't really see that nowadays. Uh, number 14 is the mo world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, who takes it to Kurgan. Uh, the same spinning heel kick that Blackman used, uh, Kurgan actually goes down to it. Um, uh, six guys eventually eliminated, eliminate Kur Ali. See what I did there? I just took Kurgan and Carly and rolled them into them. It's probably the sort of joke that Todd Grisham would use, so I'll, I'll stop doing that. Um, yeah, so uh, finally, uh, Astrida Akali has been eliminated. Uh, number 15, halfway through, and it's the other half of the Headbangers, Fresher. 
Uh, eight guys in the ring now, and Rock and D'Lo are at it again. Uh, <laughs> number 16, it's a second appearance from Mick Foley, Mankind. Uh, JR and King are confused about this, and Mankind eliminates Chainsaw very, rather quickly. Uh, revenge there for Cactus. And Sable's still at ringside. You don't really see that nowadays with uh, uh, managers staying around ringside. Probably um, the reason for this will probably become apparent uh, in a little bit. Uh, Shamrock finally goes after Rocky after being in the ring for about three minutes. He finally notices that the rock's in there and just starts pummeling him. Uh, number 17 is the artist formerly known as Goldust, who's changed his attire to red face paint and silver wrestling gear. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, different costume changes for Goldust, and he eliminates, he immediately comes in and eliminates Mankind. Uh, quite surprising, really. Uh, number 18 is the NWA North American Heavyweight Champion, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, he comes in and then literally 10, not even 10 seconds, probably 5, five seconds later, Owen Hart comes back, um, starts working over Jarrett, goes to throw it, goes to clothesline Jarrett over the top, Jarrett moves out of the way, thinks he's eliminated Owen, goes for his Ric Flair, Ric Flair strut pose, Jarrett does a full, does a full, proper skin in the cat and eliminates celebrating Jarrett and the crowd go absolutely mental for this. Biggest pop that we've got for the Rumble match so far. Uh, number 19, the greatest intercontinental champion in history, it's the Honky Tonk Man. Uh, as he makes his way down uh, down the aisleway, he's followed closely behind by DX members, China and the European champion Triple H. Uh, since Honky Tonk comes in, we just catch out the corner of our eye that The Rock has eliminated Ken Shamrock. Um, Owen Hart is working over Goldust. China tries striking Owen with one of Triple H's crutches. Owen catches it. Um, China pulls at Owen so his back is exposed. And Triple H uses his other crutch and strikes him in the back and eliminates him. Um, quite funny but as soon as number, number 20 is counted down. Uh, Owen's running from the back and uh, 
as he mixes, as he just gets to the curtain, he falls over, and uh, Lola, Lola makes a lot of fun of it. It's uh, quite funny. Uh, number twenty is oh my word! It's the forgotten out. It's the forgotten Mississippi warrior. It's Ahmed Johnson. Uh, Jr. says that Ahmed is the only man to compete in the Rumble wearing earrings. Uh, he goes after Delo. A replay shown of Ken Shamrock's elimination shows that Rock had low-road Shamrock before throwing him over the top rope. Uh, number 21 is a third member of the Nation of Domination, Mark Henry. Uh, JR mentions when Henry gets into the ring that 17 people are making their Royal Rumble match debut. Um, finally, we see some Nation teamwork as Dilo and Mark Henry start working over Ahmed Johnson. Uh, quick note that uh, competitors who have drawn single numbers are still in there. Uh, Eight Ball, Bradshaw, and The Rock are still in this match. Uh, quite impressive showing from them. Uh, number 22, and there's no music, nobody comes out, and commentary put over whether this was supposed to be Austin. Uh, which turns out that it really wasn't. Um, which, this was actually meant to be Skull. <coughs> of course, it, it, because of the, uh, Lost Maria Cross attack earlier in the night. He's not obviously uh, showing up in the uh, in the match. So yeah, a bit of a spoiler alert there. <coughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. So twenty two, nobody's come out. Uh, Dilo Brown and Mark Henry eliminate Ahmed Johnson. Henry then eliminates Vinius, who takes out Jack Doan in the process. Um, the mention of why managers aren't at ringside during the Royal match. There's your evidence right there. Uh, Ahmed, Ahmed and Phineas brawl in the aisle way. Don't see why. Maybe just Ahmed's just completely frustrated that he's being kept down. Uh, referee Jack Doan actually received a concussion from this spot where Phineas was eliminated. And his flailing leg just literally whacked him on the back of the head and he was out like a lamp. Uh, number 23 is number 4 of Nation of Domination member Karma Mustafa. Uh, Karma makes it fourth for the Nation of Domination, shoves Ahmed Johnson on his way into the ring, although Nation members keep going after each other. You don't really see, I don't really see why, you'd obviously, you'd do a Nexus, wouldn't you? you just, you know, eliminate everybody when you can, and then when it just gets down to all of you, go ask each other. Uh, <clears throat> Lola mentions that The Rock has been in this match for over 38 minutes and uh, he also mocks the fact that Austin has been taken out and uh, he deserves it for all the uh, attacks that he's done on people the past few weeks. The opportunity to wrestle the WWF Champion at the biggest event in the industry, the biggest event of all time, <laughs> WrestleMania 14 in Russia. And that drug has been yanked out right out from under Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, if that's the truth, that's going to be a heartbreaker for the old rattlesnake. He brought it on himself.
Well, number 24, glass shatters, crowd erupts, and the action in the ring stops. Uh, and all the rest of us look to the aisle The old take-a-trick that uh, Austin provides here. Uh, Austin cl clambers, comes through the crowd, clambers over the French announce table, and quickly eliminates Mark Marrow. Five wrestlers try cornering, Five wrestlers try cornering Austin in the corner, but he quickly breaks out and eliminates Eight Ball. Uh, replay of Marrow going, of Marrow being eliminated, and Tyson showing his approval. Uh, number 25 is Henry O. Godwin. Uh, goes right after Stone Cold. Um, mere mention of uh, that, um, that the Godwins were looking for Stone Cold earlier on in the night. Uh, nation members are still not wanting to work together. I've only ever seen, I've only seen uh, D'Lo and Mark Henry work together for the nation, and that's been about it. Uh, number 26 is Savio Vega, and he brings all of Los Barucos down. Uh, to so they can all attack Stone Cold. Uh, Austin soon turns the tables, gets rid of Los Barricos. He goes to stun Savio. He rolls out the way, so Austin instead catches Goldust with a meat hook like meat hook like clothesline, and it's really good impact. <clears throat> uh, number twenty-seven. The nation lineup is complete. As here comes Farouk. Uh, as soon as Farouk gets in the ring, Rock throws Austin through the ropes. And Rock, and Rock goes through the ropes as well, so neither man had been eliminated. Uh, Austin is thrown through the steel steps and is hot-shotted on the guardrail. Number 28, I'll quote JR here, Mrs. Foley's baby boy is pulling a triple header, because dude love isn't at number 28. And we're getting right down to the nitty-gritty. Who's number 28? The luck of the draw has everything to do with this. So Dude instantly comes in and eliminates Bradshaw. Uh, Austin pulls Goldust under the bottom rope and catches him with yet another clothesline. Uh, people's elbow on D'Lo Brown from the rock. But Austin slides back in and instantly takes it, takes him down. Uh, number 29 is Chains of the DOA. Uh, Fresher whips D'Lo into Farouk and Farouk back body drops D'Lo over the top. So D'Lo is gone. Uh, the all-important number 30 number is Vader, and he goes right after Goldust. Uh, Goldust backs into a corner, and Honky Tonk Man tries to attack Vader, and gets eliminated for it. Then <laughs> uh, Stone Cold goes in a bit of a mad run. Uh, he eliminates Fresher, and then Karma Mustafa in quick succession. Uh, Savio tries working over Austin, and pays for it with his elimination. And Gold Goldust gets back payback on Vader from earlier on in the night by eliminating him. Uh, Henry misses Dude Love and gets eliminated. And then, weirdly, this will be a notch for uh, a member of the DOA, as Chains eliminates Goldust. Uh, he then tries rushing Stone Cold, who is nestled up in the corner, and is back body dropped over the top rope and lands face first on the steel steps. Uh, then Farouk eliminates Mark Henry. And final four of Rock, Dude Love, Farouk, and Austin. Uh, 
Farouk and Rock are both whipped into each other, and the Rock gets hit with a double arm DDT. Um, however, the partnership between Dude and Stone Cold doesn't last long, as Dude locks in the Manable Core on Austin. Austin with a low blow, and Farouk clotheslines him over the top rope and eliminates the Dude. Uh, then Farouk goes after Stone Cold, tries to eliminate him, and The Rock intentionally rests in the opposite corner. Uh, eventually he gets up, looks like he's going to help Farouk, but in fact eliminates him. Uh, the Rock and Austin exchange in the middle, crowd going nuts, reversal off the rope from uh, Austin, and he sends Rock over the top, but The Rock hangs on. Rock gets back in the ring, Austin hits a stone called Stunner, and throws The Rock out at the end of the match at 55-25 and Stone Cold is going to WrestleMania. this Royal Rumble. It's, I wouldn't say it's the best uh, Rumble that I've ever seen, um, but it's, it's it shows the in-depth talent um, that the WWF have at this moment. They may not have like the greatest, um, some of them might not be over as much as they can be, but um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of action and also a lot of angles. Um, due to the f um, amount of factions being involved. Um, I will take some notable appearances of um, <coughs> superstars who lasted quite long. Uh, Blackjack Bradshaw was in the match for 35 minutes and 45 seconds. 8-Ball from the DOA was in for 30 minutes and 43 seconds. D'Lo Brown from The Nation was in for 32 minutes and 21 seconds. The Honky Tonk Man Although being in the, um, although this time last year was um, the Intercontinental Champion, uh, lasted for nearly 20 minutes. So a rather impressive feat for the Honky Tonk Man in only his second Royal Rumble match appearance, I must say. And obviously the crowning um, other than Austin of the Royal Rumble match, The Rock, who lasted 51 minutes and 32 seconds. Really good Rumble for him. Um, I have to say, all in all, a really good Royal Rumble match, and yeah, it was a bit predictable who was going to win, but it was well pulled off in my opinion. Um, instantly after the Austin celebration, Michael Cole's with the baddest man on the planet, I am Mike Tyson, 
who says he's going to celebrate Austin's win in town tonight and says he's a big fan of Taker and the main event is going to be a grueling contest. Uh, so yeah. Uh, the promo package for the main event of the evening. Uh, yep, yeah, so um, the rivalry between these two goes all the way back to Hell in the Cell, which also includes uh, Kane's debut. Um, the promo, Michael Cole always also documents that Undertaker's history with casket matches is quite impressive. Um, and. Um, Michaels tries playing mind games with Taker by saying that Kane is the newest member of DX. Taker says there's nothing. This has nothing to do with Kane, uh, and uh, DX responds by attacking, attacking Taker. Kane makes a save, and there's the iconic moment, um, the raw moment between Kane and the Undertaker, where they're both posing to each other. Kane's at the top of the stage, and uh, Taker's in the ring, and they both pose, and the pyro goes off, and the crowd are going nuts. Ladies what? and gentlemen, what I thought? the newest member of the Generation X, Kane! The Generation X calls out Kane, but they get the Undertaker! Business is fixing the pickup! This has nothing to do with my little brother Kane. Oh! incredible moment. Years of separation and painful memories were cast aside by an unspoken bond between brothers. So it's finally here, the main event. It's the casket match for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. The champion, the heartbreak head, Shawn Michaels, and the challenger of the phenom, the Undertaker. Uh, Michaels is in fully fledged DX mode, as he was at the previous pay per view. Um, as he comes out to his DX theme and he's accompanied by Triple H in China, who we've already seen tonight. Um, Takers comes out for a massive reaction, which, bar Austin, is the loudest pop of the night. Um, as Taker gets to the ring, we've shown a replay of Mike Tyson um, directing a DX chop towards uh, the WWF Champion just before the lights go out for Taker's entrance. Um, HBK is quite wary to get going in the, to uh, get going in the early stages um, but eventually starts the old pitbull like fashion um, that we've seen out of him um, from the previous two times we've seen him wrestle Taker um, at a pay-per-view. Um, sort of it's Back and forth um, between back and forth in the early goings. Uh, Michael Stevens returns the favour to Mike Tyson by delivering DX chop of his own, um, and it all comes to a head when uh, Taker lifts Michael's up and goes to press slam him into the casket. Michael's uh, reverses, bounces off the ropes, and Taker back body drops him uh, onto the back body drops Michael's onto the casket. Um, 
this was the infamous spot where um, Michael's crushed two two discs in his back. Um, but I was I was reading the uh, his biography his biography um, earlier this week, and um, it's it's clearly stated that ever since he'd um, come off the match against Kem Shamrock, his back had been bothering him ever since, and um, this was the stage of his life where he was um, he was quite addicted to drugs, so literally pop a few pop a few um, every morning just to get through the day. Um, and obviously, this was the this is the injury that kind of came to head, and which sort of sparked the whole back injury debacle and the retirements and stuff like that. Um, Taker starts to take control, tries to get Michaels in the casket, um, and tries to close the lid. But uh, Michaels opens the lid up and throws a pinch of salt in Taker's eyes, and then goes to throw a handful and hits nothing but air. Um, first box spot of the match. Uh, tonight, um, it's quite it's quite funny because the uh, even though Michael's has thrown obviously the, the the powder in there, take his eyes. He's well away. He's well away. He can't. He still can't see. Well away with the right hands, and he literally just stops dead. And when Michael's is still standing on the apron, catches him with the right hand, um, which is quite huge. It's quite funny, but awesome at the same time. Um, but that's just the Undertaker hit through and through. Um, Michaels uh, starts to t- starts to finally take control and takes full advantage of the Undertaker by uh, pile driving the Undertaker on the bottom half of the steel steps, um, reminiscent of what happened in the Hell in the Cell match, and um, along with the steel chair and Triple H, Triple H and uh, his crutch, Michaels is in full control. And slaps on a uh, reverse chin lock. And um, just before we carry on, um, bar the casket in this match, um, bar, bar it being a casket match, it's it's a lot similar to it's it's got similar ways of what they did of how the match turned out at Ground Zero. Um, I think the difference being that the it's a it's a bigger pay per view the Royal Rumble. Um, the crowds, it's in a bigger arena, so the crowd's a lot um, bigger, and you can hear them more vocally. And more importantly, at Ground Zero, um, the commentary team was Vince McMahon and uh, Jerry Lawler, and in this in this case, uh, JR has replaced Vince, because Vince is going to be going off into a few later on in the year, spoiler alert there. Um, but it, it makes a whole difference when you bring this kind of quality of a match to a big pay-per-view and it's for me at the moment at this point in the match it's definitely um, um, you know it's definitely it's definitely a hit with me so far um, so yeah the, uh, the reverse chin lock from Michaels which seems to go on for ages is countered from a, by a back body drop from uh, Taker Taker tr- tries to get um, back on top, but Michaels with his uh, patented flying forearm, elbow off the top, and even connects with switching music, and rolls Taker into the casket. And HPK balances himself on either side of the casket and delivers a DX chop in the direction of Taker. Um, and Taker does a Ric Flair and grabs a handful of his grapefruits. 
um, which is quite funny to see. But uh, it's it's only for it's only for Flair. You know, you can't be going all nature boy on us. Um, so yeah, take a frozen back in the ring, starts to build momentum, but misses the big flying clothesline when he comes off the ropes, and uh, his momentum carries him forward into the uh, casket. Uh, Michaels goes to the top rope and for the second spot of three in this match hits an elbow off the top into the casket. Um, this is a pretty good spot. Um, it's it's a good it's a really good spot this and uh, the crowd reacted really well to it as they had done throughout the night. Um, lid is shut and uh, you can see there's movement inside the casket because it keeps swaying about um, from time to time. Uh, Michaels tries to crawl out and take and drags him back in um, with the infamous shot of uh, Michaels like wide open just trying to scramble out and take it just like dragging him back into the pit of hell which I thought was quite cool. Um, so yeah, take drags him back in um, and there's, there's more movement obviously going on in, this, in it. Um, Eventually, he throws take Michaels back into the ring, and um, it's the second pay per view he's done it. The choke slam, where he doesn't just pick him up and then slams him instantly down. It's it's the choke slam where he picks him up in the air and then he just holds him up for like a Hulk Hogan pose, um, duration wise, um, you know, and then he just slams him down. And the the impact is quite tame. I prefer the choke slams where you just get them up in the air. And then you just do like, you do a cane. You do a cane, you lift them up in the air and you slam them right down. Um, you know, the sort of, the sort of choke slams that you see delivered to like Brock Lesnar or the ones that you see delivered to like John Cena or, you know what I mean? It's the, it's the choke slams that, the real impact of the choke slam is the height you get, but also the impact that somebody hits the mat and the sound that the mat makes. Um, so yeah, that kind of killed the momentum. It killed the crowd a little bit. But um, yeah, uh, Taker sets up for the tombstone, um, gets him, gets him on his shoulders. But then, uh, but then, uh, quite inventively, steps over the top rope and uh, plants HBK in the casket with the tombstone. And the crowd go absolutely mental for this spot. Um, so yeah, Taker crawls out the ring, gets back in the ring, looks to cr um, crawls out the Taker crawls out the casket, uh, crawls back into the ring, and looks to shut the lid of the casket. But then the New Age Outlaws and Los Bariquos come out and pound on Taker, um, which is quite reminiscent of uh, the '94 Royal Rumble when he wrestled Yokozuna in the casket match, and he had about ten superstars to come out and batter him. Um, uh, so yeah, they're pounding away on the Undertaker, and then the lights go out. The crowd implode, and I use that expression to full effect because they literally went absolutely crazy. Um, when so the lights go out, the crowd implode, and here comes Kane, who clears house and um, stands right in the middle of the ring and goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Taker, goes to set off his pyro, but when he slams his arms down, nothing happens. Um, and the crowd, found it, the crowd found it quite funny, but you just got to think, God, that's really embarrassing. You know, it, it, just imagine how it would be if you were in your shoes. You're expecting your pyro to go off 
Like, it's your signature pyro. Um, and you expect it to go off and nothing happens, and you just stand there, like, with your thumb up your ass. Um, so, yeah, kind of embarrassing moment for Glenn. I felt, felt a bit sorry for him. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, so, he goes to set off his pyro, nothing happens, and it seems like out of, out of sheer frustration, um, take a, um, Kane turns on his brother and attacks him and uh, chokeslams him from the apron uh, with a pretty tame chokeslam uh, into the casket and DX uh, closed the lid and the match is awarded to Shawn Michaels. Um, Post-match, uh, Paul Bearer comes down the aisleway and he and Kane look up the casket and then push it up the aisleway up the way to the entrance uh, to the entrance stage um, you could sort of see that um, Taker wasn't going to be in the casket because um, the floor the concrete floor just before the uh, um, entrance ramp just as the entrance ramp stops there's like a huge like um, like cardboard pallet sort of material um, and you could you could tell that probably they erected a trapdoor or something so Taker could get out before obviously this spot happens but it was kind of obvious to me um, so they push it up the entrance way Kane goes into the back and gets an axe and a can of gasoline um, Kane makes a big hole in the lid um, with his axe um, and pours gasoline all over all over the casket and Paul Bearer lights the matches and hands them to Kane, who lights the casket on fire and mocks his fallen brother with his legendary pose to close the show. Um, this builds a hell of a lot of momentum because the um, the story coming into this match is that Kane and the Undertaker were together, and um, obviously this attack it was all a ruse um, between Kane and Paul Bearer. And this obviously builds a lot of momentum um, because you can see it's kind of obvious that the two the two brothers of destruction are going to be working together at Mania. Um, nevertheless, it was a really good main event. This um, I really liked it. Um, so yeah, uh, I put in my notes. Kane attack sets up for WrestleMania, and it's all set for Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF title in the main event of WrestleMania. Um, so yeah, that is the 1998 Royal Rumble. Just begin, just give you my final thoughts. I thought this was a really good pay per view. This, <clears throat> um, obviously, the main story of uh, this Rumble was um, Austin winning the winning the Rumble match and going on to WrestleMania. And you could tell that Austin, the the hooking, the um, they're basically giving the top spot to Austin because um, it was even mentioned before when Bret Hart was uh, WWE champion in um, in like late '97 that um, he wanted that Vin, that McMahon wanted to put Austin the title on Austin at WrestleMania 14 and he wanted to do it against the top heel, um, which is obviously Shawn Michaels, which led to the whole. Montreal debacle, uh, which I won't go into much detail about. Um, 
the second the second bit that come out came out of it really was um, the setup for Kane and Undertaker. Um, it's been really entertaining so far. Um, I've really it's 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 that time where it takes something really annoying to kind of like make me enjoy the Attitude Era less, and they're pulling up all the stops. Uh, on the road to WrestleMania, the road to WrestleMania has officially begun because it just feels like it. It's it's like the WrestleMania, the build up to WrestleMania 29. It didn't feel like they were building up to WrestleMania. It was like they were building up to a they were building up to a SummerSlam or they were building up to like a a B pay per view show. It didn't feel like a Mania build up. Um, whereas this does feel like it. It does, it feels, it feels like it, we're on the road to WrestleMania in as much as we are. Um, the other thing I took out of this was um, The Rock has cemented himself as being the future in this business with his impressive Royal Rumble match performance. Um, to be honest, he's got everything. He's got everything, this, this man. Um, you know, he's got the Intercontinental title, he can work in the ring, he can work on the mic, he's got the he's got the heat from the fans, which is what you want in a top heel. Um but, you know, it's interesting to see how things turn out, you know. He came into the uh WWF as a uh, younger babyface, but the crowd just didn't want didn't want him to be a babyface, so he answered their call. And uh, it's become what has become the best heel in the business, in my opinion. Um, it might just be me. I don't know. Maybe it's too soon for him to be called the best heel in the business, but that's how I feel at the time. <clears throat> um, so yeah, uh, matches I thought were good. Um, obviously, the Royal Rumble match I quite liked. The main event was really good. Um, the Intercontinental match was a it's a nice, quick, like ten minute affair. That builds the rivalry up to WrestleMania with uh, The Rock and Shamrock for the Intercontinental title. Um, but Vader and Goldust were okay. It was it was okay. I expect if it was anywhere else in the card, it would have been really crap. But because it was an open, it built it up. It built the pay per view up quite nicely. Um, <clears throat> uh, the tag team title match was pretty dire. I mean, you know, I just, I I love the Outlaws a hell of a lot, but the but the LOD just don't do it for me anymore. You know, the t the time's kind of passed, and they they don't really have the attitude mindset that some of the like the Outlaws have. <clears throat> um. So yeah, we are officially on the road to WrestleMania. That is it for number two, uh, episode number two of the of AEW review. Hope you enjoyed it. It was a little bit more uh, in depth, a little bit more um, researchable. But um, yeah. So uh, it's just time for me to say, uh, keep posted on SoundCloud here on SoundCloud, um, the official website. Follow us at Twitter on Twitter at AEW Review. Go to the Facebook page, like us, and also remember to enter into the competition where you could win the free Stone Cold Legacy of Stone Cold Steve Austin DVD. Um, and the only thing left to say is we will see you next time when we will be reviewing the last stop to 
before WrestleMania. It's In Your House number 20, No Way Out in Texas. But for now, this is Lewis Ogden of AEW Review, signing off for now. Goodbye. Kane, until our paths cross again, I shall never rest in peace. Thank you.